everybody, Tina here. If you're an advisor looking for that one conference that gives you inspiration, connection, and proven best practices to grow your firm, Excel is the place. And it's happening September 13th to 15th in Las Vegas at the beautiful Cosmopolitan Hotel. I attended last year's event and cannot wait to be there again this year. The lineup is jaw-dropping. So head on over to Excel Conference, that's Excel with two L's, check it out and use my discount code Powell200 to receive $200 off the price of your ticket. See you there. On this week's episode of In the Suite with Tina Powell. I've been called by college students who said, we don't want to leave this place until we know a little bit about finance. And so that's been very nice when it doesn't come from the school or the dean or the teachers, the professors. It comes from the students. They're very willing to learn. And nobody, well, not nobody, but in many schools, it's not being taught properly. And that's why we're behind the financial literacy in our country. And I think it's terrible for such a well-industrialized country and a leader of the world to be lower on the list than it should be. I don't want to say fake it till you make it. Like, okay, I'm not going to tell anybody it's silly, even though I feel it's silly. But mind games aren't always bad. And whatever works for you, talk to yourself about it. Well, how will this sound? And try it out. See how it sounds. See if people want to answer you and if they're treating you like you're just silly. Probably not. Your experience of yourself is going to change. And think about that. Examine it as it happens. I asked this question. I got three great answers from people who took me very seriously. Must mean my questions are great. (laughs) Hi, this is Tina Powell, host of In The Suite where I sit down with top women leaders and some of the biggest names in the financial services and the wealth management industry. Together, we'll discover some of their best secrets and top strategies to grow a great business, build a strong brand, and lead teams in the 21st century. I hope you'll enjoy hearing their amazing personal stories of triumph, trepidation, and transformation in hopes of becoming better leaders ourselves. The time for you to lead is now and you're in the suite. We are so honored and excited to have the iconic Dr. Karen Altfest in the suite. Karen is a principal advisor and executive vice president at Altfest Personal Wealth Management, a fee-only financial planning and investment management boutique firm in New York. Altfest Personal Wealth Management is a company she runs with her husband, Lou, and their son, Andrew. And together, her team manages over a billion dollars in client assets. Throughout her 30-year career, Karen has blazed a trail in fee-only financial planning for women. With a PhD in history and a CFP designation, Karen has always had a unique perspective on financial planning. When she entered the industry in the 1980s, she immediately recognized a need for advice that catered specifically to women. She's written many scholarly articles and books on financial planning and investments, and even curated CFP programs at Manhattan's New School and Pace University. And yes, she knows a lot about investing. In addition to serving clients at Altfest Personal Wealth Management, Karen has carefully curated educational programs on various topics throughout her Women's Financial Spa and Women's Financial Salon programs. 
She's also created a special place within her office called The Parlor, a private space women can share their issues, their challenges, and celebrations. Throughout the year, Karen has been the recipient of multiple awards. In 2019, Crane's New York business acknowledged Karen as a notable woman on Wall Street for the fourth time, and most recently, she was recognized as top women wealth advisor by Forbes for the third consecutive year. Growing up in a family that believed in social work set a wonderful example for pursuing a better world. As the founding chairman of the New York Common Pantry, Karen's organization provides hot meals, nutrition education, and case management services to hundreds of people annually. In fact, one of the many gifts you'll discover about Karen Altfest in this episode is her unrelenting dedication and commitment to women's empowerment and making the world a better place. As a woman in finance, I am in awe of her achievements and her accomplishments and inspired by her work. You will be too in the suite. Wow, Karen Altfest. Take a seat in the suite. I am so super jazzed, so excited to be with you today. I really miss you. I haven't seen you in years in person. The last time we were together, we were both in New York City. I think we were at a TD Ameritrade panel and you are just a bright light. You're so much fun. I learned so much from you whenever we are together, and uh, I'm so glad to see you. What an honor it is to have you today, Karen. Thank you so much, Tina. It's so nice to be here. So mostly everyone who's listening to this podcast knows the name Karen Altfest, and so one of the reasons that I've invited you here in the suite is because you have a depth of wealth and academic experience, the way that you've tied these things brilliantly in your career. And I would love for you to give our listeners an insight into you as principal advisor and executive vice president of Altfest Personal Wealth Management. So I'll let you kind of kick us off, Karen. Sure. Well, our firm is a New York firm, although we do have clients in many, many states, uh, but we consider ourselves New York-based, and it's a family-owned firm, and we started in 1983. I joined about three or four years later, and it's grown, and so the position I started with is not the position I have now, and I'm used to working with a lot of our staff. I mentor a lot of our women employees. We go out for quarterly luncheons, and we speak often about issues of being a woman advisor in the firm, and it's very rich and very fun. I love to do that, and I also love working with my women clients. That's very special to me, and I enjoy writing a lot, speaking a lot. I do a lot of interviews, and sometimes there are so many uh, asked of me that I pass them on to our really top advisors as well. I think one of the things that when I think of the name Karen Altfast, I think of the people that you've been lucky enough to surround yourself with. And what an incredible experience to be able to work alongside both your your husband, Lou, again, very well known in the industry, and your son, Andrew, 
who is making an incredible name for himself. I envy that, Karen. I had my daughter working here, Rachel, at C-Suite Social Media for almost a year before she transitioned into another role, which was what we were engineering for. And what an incredible experience to be working alongside family in a family-owned business. Well, it works out very well for our family. We like it. Every family has to decide that on their own. But I enjoy working with my husband, Lou, because he's so smart in this business and he, he handles things I don't handle. And everybody thinks we walk to work together, we come home together, we're together all day. And it's not like that. It's very, very nice for us in our family to uh, erase some boundaries. Our clients are the ones we want to have dinner with very many times or go to the theater with. So there's like an overlap there. But I know the people Lou knows in general. I mean, he does other things. You know, he taught for 35 years at Pace University. I do a lot of not-for-profit board meetings and things. We don't come and go to and from the office at the same time, almost never. And I think you have to maintain your own identity, your own personality, and do the things you love. And why would you want a whole lot of people in your office who all do the same things? Everybody has different talents. And our son, Andrew, has brought all sorts of new things that maybe we didn't have the time to think about when we were building a business. Maybe they didn't exist, like a lot of artificial intelligence, things that he knows much more about than we do. And he's taking us in all new directions. And he's definitely been the right guy for this job. It was Lou's dream that his son would follow him into this business. And I never allowed that kind of talk in our home because I thought maybe he wants to pursue a different career. And that could have been. But he called us one day when he was in college and it was his semester abroad. And he said, I've had a lot of time to think. I'd love to come join the business. And Lou was like silently, yes, yes. You know, he was, he was really happy. But it turned out we probably had talked a lot about it at the dinner table because he knew too much <laughs> when the day he arrived. I think that we talked a lot in front of him. And the worst thing you can do now is get into a car where Lou and Andrew are stuck in a traffic jam and they're discussing investments. And I'm thinking, aren't we going to get there soon? <laughs> and so to bring in strangers into our car, I don't think they all like it. <laughs> Oh, I would love to be, I would love to ride shotgun in the all the fast car. <laughs> that is a wonderful story. I think too many times we've heard the negative of families working together. And I want to just say that you, you said the magic word there is that knowing the boundaries and just giving people, giving people choices. This is an incredible industry and it's changing so rapidly. And someone like your son that understands both the history through the lens of his parents and through the lens of Altfest and knowing now where the future is going with FP Alpha. I had the incredible honor of speaking at his study group on social media just last week. I had a ball. So he's doing a lot of great work. He's following in his parents' footsteps. Yeah, I think he has a little bit of my traits, a little bit of loose traits and a lot of his own traits. So it came out to be a good mix. <laughs> That's great. I wanted to talk about your background specifically because you not only have the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner designation, and you're also very awesome that you have a PhD in history on top of that. So what made you decide to, to get that doctorate? 
Yeah, I just liked what I was studying in school and I just kept going. But most of all, to me, history was about the people. How did people live? How did they what is how did they dress? What did they eat? What did they do? And you know, but they were dead. So <laughs> you know, I really love thinking about people from hundreds of years ago. And I transitioned that into solving problems for people who could do something about it right now. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think it was such a switch just something that interested me very much. I love the Metropolitan Museum of Art. I love looking at history through the lens of that museum. I think people are people and that we are very much the same as we were (laughs) hundreds and thousands of years ago. I think a lot of our cultural norms about wanting to be together, especially through this pandemic, and the need to be social, the need to belong, the need to have our bare necessities taken care of. Right. So when I studied history, it was very much about great wars, great men, leaders of our society. And I just always wanted to include all the other people. (laughs) It wasn't so popular in that day, but uh, it was very important to me. And I just really enjoyed so much. Uh, I did my thesis on a historical topic, but also I included literature as a historical source, which now I don't think is so uncommon. Then Mm. it was very rare. I had to convince somebody from the English department to be on my thesis committee and all that. And it was just thrilling to me to be able to unite all these things. So then you started in academics before you came before. Okay. So the PhD was before the CFP. Yes, definitely. And after the PhD, it was motivating for me to go get the CFP, but I decided I love learning. I love going to lectures. I'm not taking any more exams. (laughs) (laughs) So then when did you make the leap into the business? I want to identify where was that point A? Because you have had many decades of experience here in the industry that has gone through such rapid transformation. Well, that's really true. Everything you say, Lou came from an accounting background and very soon after that, a Wall Street investment background and wanted to start his own firm. And I was hanging around the firm, but I couldn't help anybody. People would talk to me in the waiting room about their issues and problems, but I wasn't a CFP. And so while I enjoyed it and would have loved to help them, I wasn't. And so it turns out when you have a PhD, people think you could do a lot of things and they approach you about a lot of things. So I was approached by a university that wanted me to start a program for people who wanted to get their CFP designation. And I thought, well, I could do that. So, so, you know, I I did that and it was really fun. I found people to teach the courses. I worried about getting enough students into the courses, things like that, as a director of a program should do. And then I thought, this is really all interesting. I think I'll become a CFP too. (laughs) Great. And I got somebody at the university to sign up that I could do self-study, which everybody can do nowadays. But at the time, it was very rare part of, of the program. So I, because I knew I wouldn't have time to go to classes. So I did that and I, I earned my designation. And then I was able to help all those people that I was <laughs> speaking to. So that was, that was my reasoning. And I joined Lou in the firm, I thought, temporarily. You know, I had taught history for a year. I had written a couple of history books and articles. 
And I really enjoyed managing things more than teaching them. But I still teach. I love to teach. I teach about finance. As a matter of fact, years ago, somebody at a university offered me a history class. And I thought, if you're not doing it 100%, you're not up on the latest literature about history and things. I didn't want to do that. So I use all the skills that I gained as a historian. PhDs are great problem solvers, and I love dealing with that part of the industry. And so I I enjoy it all very much. And by the way, I'm sure you you don't want to know, and nobody else does, but I became a great typist. (laughs) (laughs) The lack of financial literacy is an economic and public health crisis because being financially literate is essential to improving America's standard of living and reducing income equality. That's where Financial Fitness Group comes in. They're helping empower people by making learning about finances easy, effective, and fun. FFG is the leading provider of unbiased financial education to banks, credit unions, advisors, government agencies, and employers across the nation. Visit financialfitnessgroup.com today to learn more. So in looking at the industry, one of the things, I didn't come to finance until a second career, yet I had a master's degree, a BS in in business. Where are we in terms of education? How can we now start to make sure that the types of classes that you're teaching, that personal finance gets woven into the fabric of our education system much earlier? I think too little is taught to very young children who are very eager to learn this content. Uh, We were asked when Andrew was in in elementary school by a teacher, I think it was fourth or fifth grade, if we would come in and teach some things about finance to the class. And Lou taught investments that he used a sexy stock for kids and everything to illustrate what he was talking about. And I did a little budget for kids. And because of my own wishes, I said for the future, for things you're going to want, put that away now. A third, you could go have fun and get whatever you want. And a third to charity. (laughs) That was just me. But they asked the toughest questions and they were so interested. They were amazing. They were saying like, well, if 30 years ago I had bought this oil stock and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking you weren't alive 30 years (laughs) What's going on here? And they were very tough and very fun to talk to, but ready, ready so much for so much more. And at college too, I've, I've been called by college students who said, we don't want to leave this place until we know a little bit about finance. And so that's been very nice when it doesn't come from the school or the dean or the teachers, the professors. It comes from the students. They're very willing to learn. And nobody, well, not nobody, but in many schools, it's not being taught properly. And that's why we're behind in financial literacy in our country. And I think it's terrible for such a well-industrialized country and a leader of the world to be lower on the list than it should be. And I'm hoping that social media helps to bridge that gap because now we have this accessibility. We can now socialize the concepts of finance on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram, and do I dare say TikTok because there are some advisors and financial educators on on TikTok. I've also seen them on different disciplines. And I like the way that we're now 
telling a fresher story about finance, specifically for women, because again, I've we've, we've both seen women through the ages. I want to talk about your work with women. It's something that I envy and I appreciate about you, Karen. You've been an inspiration to me and you've been iconic in the industry and particularly known for your work with women. You created Financially Savvy Women, a program that offers education, events dedicated to women. And this was way before the pandemic. This wasn't anything new. This is something that has been in the fabric of your culture at Altfest for years and years. Can you talk a little bit about the Financial Savvy Women program? And So we do a few programs. Our biggest event of the year for women is called our our spa, our women's financial spa. And it's not about health except mental health and financial health. (laughs) So you're not getting a massage, but you're getting some knowledge and maybe a good lunch (laughs) if we can get back together. But we're discussing things that interest women. Probably one of our most popular speakers a few years ago, before she was so well-known, was Maggie Haberman of the New York Times, who's now also of CNN. And we had standing room only for that. And it was really terrific and to hear her. Although I don't often invite people from the media, I do like a lot of people who've written books that I can buy for all my attendees and and give to them and they could take home and read them and mull them over. And we've had very many good speakers on all sorts of topics. And so uh, that really delights me to be able to find somebody who does that are a smaller one that we have. They're probably four or five months apart. We have the women's financial salon. And it's, <laughs> so, I love the way you're combining like salon, spa. I love this. Things people can relate to. Well, wait till I tell you about my parlor. Have you heard about my parlor? We no. have in our we have in our office a lot of large conference rooms that hold what's 40 people or whatever. But when we moved to that office about six, seven years ago, I said to everybody, you know, everything, when you move to an office, they cut down everything. And where do you want the bathroom? And do you want to have a a coffee stand or a cold kitchen or whatever you want? They'll build it. And so I said, I am taking the small space and it's going to be my parlor for my women. And people use it and they come in and they like they'll be in a conference room and they'll have their accountant and they'll have their brother-in-law and they'll have, we all know that but then they say I just want to talk to you well, can I go into the parlor with you and we go in and they tell me about their forthcoming divorce or their you know some problems they're having in in their lives and it's just so rich and so nice and I'm so flattered that people want to use it and people come they say well when can I go in there and our men advisors say well I want to go in there too and I say well if you're with a woman client and you want to have a private conversation of course and what I'm very proud of is that it's technology free. We don't have a clock in there. We don't have a telephone in there unless you bring your own cell phone. I don't, I don't look through people's bags. <laughs> we, have, we have some teapots. It's very calm. Teapots with pictures of the queen on it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We have art books for museums. And we have these like parlor chairs that you don't want to get out of. They enfold you. They're so comfortable. And it's for four people 
uh, hopefully. It's a private, quiet little room. It does have lights, I guess. That's, that's modern technology. I love this. I'm in, in my own dream world here. I'm envisioning myself with you doing a selfie in the parlor to just say, Please come and I... see it, of course. Yes, of course. I would, I would love to. What does it look like now people are starting to transition into a hybrid or a physical role? What is it like right now over for you and for Altfest? Are you yeah, doing... Well, that, that's a good, timely question. We yeah. do a hybrid thing. We do a lot of webinars now because we can't do in-person meetings. Our clients don't want to come. They think they could be spreader events. They don't want, I mean, I am having my women's spa, which I have every November and it's coming up very soon and it'll be virtual. And so we can't all be together, but they will come to client meetings because they're in a private room, they've been vaccinated, we've been vaccinated, and they're very comfortable with, you know, four people in a room or whatever it is, but it's not 50 or 60 people they don't feel they can vouch for. <laughs> so yeah. our people are asked to be in the office a few days a week and work from home the rest of the week. And we find that's a successful model for right now, it may change in the future, but it's good. Yeah, I believe right now the key is to just give people choices, especially the clients. And you've always been intuitive in, in how you need to serve your clients, females and families. I, I love this idea of the parlor. I think that that's the perfect example. Sometimes discussions around money, I used to say there's a great reason why there's a tissue box in oh, the yes. office of a wealth management. Right. I have a tissue box. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, these aren't discussions around money. Money is type is the the byproduct of what's really happening. And you need people who are understanding, who have empathy and who have been through it. Advisors such as Altfest that you've seen people through the generations. A lot of the problems are are similar in nature, right? Wouldn't you say? I, I think they are. And they're about human feelings, emotions, and experiences. But when I I'll just fill you in with this. When I told everybody we were going to have a parlor, I didn't know it was called the parlor at that time. I thought about what I could call it. And my women said to me, don't call it the women's parlor, just call it the parlor and we'll know. And so I, I, I took that very seriously. But nobody at the firm said to me, what are you doing? Or why are we having this? Or we could use it for the space for something else. Everybody said, oh, that sounds great. <laughs> so I was very happy about that because I had expected to roll up my sleeves and have a big fight about it. And that never had to be. <laughs> well, that says a lot about your team. I think that a philosophy in business right now needs to be that try everything and keep what works and let's be all a little bit more pliable and dynamic in our decision making. And I love, love the idea. I cannot wait to go visit it and see it. I, I imagine that it's going to be, I'm not going to want to leave, Karen. You're going to have to enjoy it. Tina, have, uh, time to leave. To come tell me your stories, Tina. <laughs> oh, that'll be great fun. Great fun. I'd love to see you and we'll, we'll make a time to do that. 
Hey listeners, if you're looking for actionable advice and motivation to get you through your day, follow In The Suite on Instagram. This week, we shared 24 things you could do today to improve your career. I encourage you to check out that post. It's awesome. It's lots of information there that I think that you'll find useful. So you can find it again on Instagram at In The Suite Pod. That's all one word, In The Suite Pod. And we'll see you over there on Instagram. I want to also talk about the fact that, again, you've been in the industry for so many years. You are iconic. You have also received so many awards. I would be here for the rest of the podcast to name each one. Most recently, Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisor. For the third consecutive year in 2019, you were also named Crane's New York Business Notable Women in Finance. I know that you do what you do with your heart and that the awards are just, it's great recognition. I know that we've got other female financial advisors listening to this podcast. Any advice to them? Yes, absolutely. I don't think you could say I won an award. (laughs) I think that's kind of hokey. And I could claim a certain innocence in the beginning, like, I'm just doing this because I like doing it and really. And so, I mean, maybe it's in a lot of people's minds. I don't think that's how the best way to get one. I think the Mm -hmm. best way to get one is to be an individual, pursue what you feel is important. And it doesn't have to be what everybody else is doing. Probably better not take your seat at the table, sharpen your elbows, (laughs) have your voice heard. As a woman, I'm used to having people who want to talk over me. (laughs) And I've said to them, please don't talk over me. So, you know, just stop. And they all stop no matter who they are, how powerful they feel they might be or whatever. They've never been told that before. And they just, what? Okay. (laughs) And they quiet down. Uh, If you're in the middle of something, you don't want to be interrupted. And just volunteer for things, keep working on them, rise to the top and people will notice. And speak up. I mean, we all go home with questions if we're in an audience somewhere and everybody, uh, the speaker is saying something and you're not sure about it, you don't agree with it, or you have another opinion on it. And you take your questions and you tell your friend on the way out. That's not the way to do it. Put up your hand, tell your question. In, In total naivete about awards or anything like that, years and years ago, there was something bugging me. And I said it, I just said, I didn't know that anybody else would be interested or care. Well, I was (laughs) featured on the cover of a magazine after (laughs) that's not in business anymore. It didn't even occur to me like, oh, if I say this, I'll be able to, no, that would have been totally strange to me. (laughs) And so, but I I had something bothering me and should I say it in public? Should I not say it? I said it. And somebody grabbed onto it, wrote a whole article about the issue and put me on the cover of the magazine. So I was very surprised. But but I think that's what you have to do. You have to speak up what you're really feeling, what you're really thinking, and become outspoken and a leader in the industry. Hmm. It's such great advice. I love the sharpening of the elbows because it takes that type of sharp elbow mentality. I think women at least I'll use myself as an example, it's really hard to be the lonely voice in the room. It is, you know, and I've been at so many conferences, it's gotten better now, but I was like a compulsive counter. Why is there one woman at this table of 10 or, you know, whatever I would notice. And uh, so it, it bugged me. It didn't feel completely right. And we're still not where we should be in this industry. 
it's a little better. I don't count. It's a little busy to count, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, now, which is really a good thing if you're seeing three women at a table instead of one. It's just too much to count. So, <laughs> yeah. Are there some sort of strategies? One of the things that was just recently at a conference, and and what I did was I said to the woman next to me, I said, "Do you know who that other person is?" Right. We were in a small group of people, and she goes, "Oh no, I don't know." And when then I I said the name, "Oh, that's this person." Would you like me to introduce you? You've got to meet that person. Oh yes, absolutely. And I think that we can all do a better job of taking women with us and socializing them through our own networks instead of assuming that, oh, because maybe they're in the same location somewhere that we take for granted that everybody knows each other. And that's not necessarily the case. And just making that warm introduction can open up doors for a lot of women who are listening. And be good role models and exciting for somebody who's just starting out to meet somebody else. I think it's a wonderful idea. Well, you've been a great role model for me. Thank you. That's good yeah, to hear. I did actually, I was accepted into a EDD. I didn't go through with it at the time. It was great to be accepted, but I've always admired, especially women who can straddle both education and finance to a very, very high level. It says a lot about you and I think that there's still education still has a role in in our careers and shaping a lot of my early networks in marketing, specifically in communications in New York City. I still hold on to those networks. I still am in touch with my graduate professor years and years later. That's fabulous. I actually reconnected with a lot of professors and people like that after I had left a few years. They didn't understand why I left history and everything. But a few years later, we were having dinners together. (laughs) And you're still on the foundation board. You serve on the foundation board right now at the City University of New York Graduate Center, where you earned your PhD. How important is it to you, Karen, to stay connected to their alma mater? I think it's very important. For me, it gives me a real charge to be speaking to these people, seeing what they're doing and the excitement around the university. And I really felt that I matured and grew at at that university. I have maintained some ties to my first university, but I feel this was the one that was most meaningful to me. And I'm delighted to be asked. They had asked me years before to be on the foundation board. And I was just so busy. I had young children and I, we were trying to grow a business and doing too many things. And I said no. And I always thought that really would have been fun. Why did I say no? But then they asked again. <laughs> <laughs> and so you had I, to say I, yes. For sure. I wasn't going to pass it up twice. <laughs> so I've been on it for a number of years now. Very interesting people from all walks of life. A few of us are alum, but very few. Most are just successful business people in the New York area and other people you're happy to sit on a board with. And it's, it's a very good board because I've been on boards where people want to eat other people for dinner. <laughs> and, <laughs> and this board, everybody's respectful. Plus a large board, it's about 32 mm-hmm. people, wow. not always all there at the same time. But I've never heard an unpleasant word, you know. <laughs> maybe, maybe you go home and tell your spouse, do you know what that person said? I have no idea, but they're very respectful. They listen to everybody's opinions and everything. And I really enjoy helping move uh, CUNY forward. I, I do think the Graduate Center doesn't get the press that 
that maybe some other schools get and has such a fine curriculum. I did my PhD with Arthur Schlesinger and that's why I went to that university. And it was a, a treat every day. And so I think it has a lot to offer everybody and it's just not as well known. And if I can have a small part in, in moving it forward, I'm really very happy to do that. Well, ladies and gentlemen listening, you heard it in the suite. Karen, we are going to make sure in our show notes, there are links to the City University of New York Graduate Center. I would also say that anyone listening to the podcast right now, if you are contemplating higher education, if you have any questions for Karen, we will make sure that her contact details are in the show notes as well too, so that you can easily reach out. Not only have you served on different foundations, again, you're very connected to CUNY Graduate Center, but then you're also the founder of the New York Common Pantry, which is New York City's largest community-based food pantry. I can't even imagine what that was like also, too, during the recent pandemic. So how do you even find the time for all of these things? I mean, it's not just you're making a, a little dent. Like, you're making a massive, massive impact in the community around you. And I think that is absolutely magnificent. Well, I don't see how I could not do these things. Mm. I mean, when I started the pantry a long time ago, I think it was in the 80s, there were homeless people, hungry people all over the streets. They were sleeping on church steps and things in the cold. And, and how could you not help them? I considered them my neighbors. And uh, your neighbors aren't always the guy next door who bought the co-op or, or whatever you think it is. There are all these people who you see on the streets every day. And at the time, I knew a lot of them by their first names, and they knew mine. And I remember one day walking with my two young children, and this guy called to me, Karen, Karen, and he was a Clearly a homeless man. You could tell by looking at him. He was lying in the street. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, my daughter, who's older than my son, said, how do you know that man? Why does he know your name? And I said, <laughs> he's, our, he's our neighbor, you know. Oh. And she, she probably thought that was quite odd. But you have to help people around you and just not think of yourself. I mean, I do to be comfortable. I, I think that's the right way to go. And yes, I've been a, on a lot of financial boards that I've led and not-for-profit boards. And I don't know, you find the time. Don't they say go to a busy person? If you yeah, go to a busy person and everything will get done, right? How are things right now at the New York Common Pantry? Oh, are you oh, the New York Common Pantry down has, donations? has really expanded? It used to be when we started, you get a can of something, you give up the can of something to somebody. But then we started getting donations and writing grants and things. We got more sophisticated and we grew. And uh, some of those grants have been cut back. People just didn't have the money. And so we had to find other resources. It, it hasn't been easy, but we've been very fortunate in the partnerships we formed. And we get a barber who a barber will come in once a week for free and cut people's hair. Because how could you go apply for a job if your hair is down to your shoulders or right. whatever? So we have maintained a lot of those good relationships. And now, you know, I'm not on the board. I'm in an advisory capacity when, when they call on me for something. And, and I'm happy to, to go and give back. But I'm it's certainly in a different place uh, mm. with that organization. I want to talk to you about one other 
philanthropic organization as it relates to financial services, because I had mentioned at the top of the show that I did a social media virtual event, which I had a great time with your son through NAPFA New York City Study Group. And I asked for an honorarium to go to Invest in Others Foundation. And your son, Andrew, was all smiles when I said that. And he said, they honored my mother years ago. And I said, I know that's, it's just that Kate Healy, who was on our show and on the podcast, she's now the the chairman of the board. And I think that there are ways that we could exercise philanthropy. A couple of years ago, Karen, I wouldn't have asked for that. I wouldn't have asked for anything. I would have been like, okay, yeah, like let's do this virtual event. So I wanted to congratulate you for receiving the, uh, I believe it was the Lifetime Achievement Award over there. I did it because it came with a lot of money for your charity. Mm. So I thought, okay, I'll go tell them about the pantry. I didn't know that I would win the award. But even if you were in the top five, you got some money for your organization and the pantry can always use that. So I thought that would be nice. And then you don't know who won. It's a not quite like the Academy Awards, not that, not that exciting, but you sit there and they call out the name of the winner. And so they called out my name and I handed Lou my phone so he could take some pictures, but he's very bad at <laughs> So he handed it to the next guy. And so we got some pictures. So that was really funny. Oh, I love that. I want to take it back to women just a second before we close things out here, because I I see you as as someone who has seen women through the ages. Clearly, we're not doing, we're not there yet to where we need to be. And you've seen women from a variety of angles here through counseling women, being their financial advisors, to mentoring and coaching women advisors, and then just from serving the, the community. Specifically, I think for women listening who might not be as financial savvy, as financially empowered as they should be, we're in very difficult times economically. What would be your advice to them? I'll answer that in a couple of ways. First, a lot of people think I'm trying to educate people about their finances. And I am. I mean, but you could go look up what a Roth IRA is or whatever. So I will teach people about financial things. But what I really want to do is give them the confidence to make decisions that come up in their lives later on. And one of the ways I I try to do that is a lot of women come into my office and they say, this is a silly question, but, and, you know, it's not a silly question. It's probably better than the other questions you've heard that night. And it's important to you. It's meaningful. And don't belittle yourself. And words like just... I just want to say, no, you want to say, you know, like nobody's going to listen to you because it's already become smaller in their minds, you know, whatever you're going to say, silly, just whatever. And we have women who come to me and they could be a woman who, you know, has some kind of small pension from government service or something, or it could be a woman who's been a powerful corporate head and, and has a lot of money put away. And so many of these women of all walks of life say to me, I'm going to end up homeless in the park. And I have never in all my years heard a man come into the office and say, I'm going to end up homeless in the park. So it's sort of backwards of the Cinderella fantasy. I'm going to marry a rich guy who'll take care of me. He'll be my prince. 
And so probably neither of those is going to happen to you. <laughs> and so stop telling people that, please, because it belittles their trust in you as a person they should be listening to. So it makes it easy for them to talk over you. So I'd like people to have much more self-confidence. And I don't want to say fake it till you make it. Like, okay, I'm not going to tell anybody it's silly, even though I feel it's silly. But mind games aren't always bad. And whatever works for you, talk to yourself about it. Well, how will this sound? And try it out. See how it sounds. See if people want to answer you and if they're treating you like you're just silly. Probably not. Your experience of yourself is going to change. And think about that. Examine it as it happens. I asked this question. I got three great answers from people who took me very seriously. Must mean my questions are great. (laughs) And just believe in yourself a little better. And to use stronger language, there is no stupid question. There is no silly question. We have the right to ask whatever it is in our minds and be unapologetic about it. Before our last question, what is the best way for women to get in touch with you so that they could they could schedule time in the parlor to ask you great questions unapologetically? You could go to my website. We have an inquiry spot where you could put in anything you want to tell us and it's www.altfest.com and somebody will get back to you very, very fast. And if you say you want to speak to me directly, then I'll be the one to get back to you. Great. And Karen's got a just a great team of people over at Altfest. So we'll make sure that that link is in the show notes. And I'm fascinated to ask you this question, especially a Dr. Karen Altfest here. What would be your best book recommendation? Yeah, I I read a book a few years ago and I had this woman speak at one of my women's events and her name is Becky Aikman. And I think she started life as a reporter and she became widowed at a young age. And she wrote a book called Saturday Night Widows, which takes women in unexpected directions where they forge their own future. And it made me realize, and I've just written an article on this, that you can't categorize people. You can't say, well, I've met a widow, so I'm going to tell all widows this or that or the other. Every person is different, has their own experience, their own expectations, their own needs, their own goals. And that came home to me. But when I did have Becky Aikman in to speak to my women, it's the kind of book that keeps you up. It kept me up till 3 a.m. till I finished it. Wow. I couldn't stop. But it's about women bonding. And uh, I had a whole group of women. I had a huge turnout. And I do have sessions just for widows. And I looked out at the audience, and I know most of these women. And they weren't widowed. And they wanted to come and hear about this because you could interpret the book as being one of bonding. As a matter of fact, at the time, Andrew's married now for some years. But at the time, I gave it to the woman who had just become his fiance. She was going to be traveling to a place that was mentioned in the book and everything. And I said, I know this is about widows and you're a young woman, you're not married yet. Would you be okay if, you know, and she said, yeah, I want to read it. And she loved it. And uh, so that's the one I would recommend. I can't wait to listen to that book. This has been a spectacular year in the suite with all of these book recommendations. So after I hear these book recommendations, I put them in my Audible account. And whenever I'm flying or driving long distance, that sounds like an awesome, incredible recommendation. I have seen women at various stages in my life become widowed in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. And now that I look back, Karen, I'm 
flabbergasted how that has happened to people I know who I know knew their their husbands and never in a million years when our kids were growing up would I have ever thought that that was even a possibility. What's a good step for women who want to dig a little bit deeper in, there's, in widowhood? There's an organization called the W Connection. They don't call themselves widows, but that's what W means mm-hmm. for them. And there are a whole lot of others as well. And I've written a lot of articles for widows of what they should do, what they shouldn't do. And it's not always the common thinking, wait a year on this. Well, maybe you can't. I mean, you want to keep your lights on. You want to keep your kid in school. You want some things you can't wait a year, some things you can't. So I've examined all of that and I find it very interesting. But most of all, I love working with women. My husband, Lou, thinks it's very funny. I call them my women. <laughs> and he says, yeah, I've heard him talk to other people. And he, and of course, he works with a lot of, he advises a lot of women who enjoy his advice. But, you know, (laughs) he says, when Karen is in a room with another woman, they talk a different language. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so it's really uh, very, very fun. And that's why I go to work every day. Karen Altfest, that is fantastic. We're going to put some links to those articles. I'm going to work with your team. I know that you have some great resources on the website. So specifically, I want to make sure that the women listening in particular can find some of those articles. But thank you for giving us a book recommendation, Saturday Night Widows and the W Connection and Organization. And then we'll have a link to some of the articles that you've authored that can get women to open up their worlds to more and more resources and expand our way of thinking. So thank you so, so much. You've been such an inspiration. I want to thank you for all your work and and just modeling what it means to lead a a great life. Thank you, Tina. It's so nice to see you and to speak to you. And as you said, I hope one day uh, we can see each other in person in 3D instead of 2D. (laughs) Exactly. And take that selfie in the parlor. (laughs) Of course, maybe the beginning of the year. That would be wonderful. Thank you again. And thank you everybody so much for listening. And we will talk to you soon. You're listening to In The Suite, a podcast that shares amazing stories of women in business in the financial services and the wealth management industry. Our producers are Tina Powell and Kevin Hershorn. Our editor at large is Kevin Hershorn. Our content writers are Dimple Rachandani, Daniel Wheeler, Olivia Gonzalez, and Tina Powell. In This Week podcast is sponsored by C-Suite Social Media, a high-growth digital marketing and social media agency for financial services and wealth management. You can visit c-suitesocialmedia.com to learn more. And please let us know how you enjoyed this episode with the amazing Dr. Karen Altfest. You can share your thoughts on social media, hashtag In This Week, and you can connect with Karen on LinkedIn. Visit her website at Alt fest.com for access and to learn more about her firm and her incredible work with women. And thank you again so much for listening and subscribing and giving us five-star reviews. I so, so appreciate it. We've got listeners in 1,133 cities, 56 countries. That number completely blows my mind and we owe it all to you. So thank you so, so much for being a listener and subscriber. And we hope that you have an amazing, amazing day in the suite.